The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on March 3, 2024, on the basis of John 2, verses 13 through 22. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So your friend invites you down to the new house of worship in town. Your friend has been raving about this place for a while, and you're curious, so you agreed to go check it out. You and your friend show up several minutes early. Your friend introduces you to some of the people that he's met while he's been there, and everyone's very friendly. You go in, you find two empty seats in the back. You notice that somebody is lighting candles around the room. The leader walks in, introduces what's going to be happening that day, and you're off. Inspiring music starts to play, and the speaker talks throughout, offering encouragement and spiritual insights. And you start to see why your friend likes coming here so much. It is uplifting. It is a genuinely tight-knit community. And so you decide that you're going to join this place. You're going to sign up for a membership. You're going to dedicate a portion of your income each week and once per week, you're going to join your friend at Soul Cycle for spin class. Fewer and fewer Americans are going to church on Sunday mornings. And more of these people are starting to realize that they are missing out on a sense of community that church had given them. And so companies like Soul Cycle are trying to provide that sense of community. They're trying to build a community around fitness but they're also trying to provide something else. They're trying to fill a bigger void for people, a spiritual void. And SoulCycle isn't shy about it either. They call their workout rooms sanctuaries, and they put candles in there, and they train their leaders to give spiritual advice to people. Companies like SoulCycle are trying to give people something to worship in lieu of going to church. And it's not just the fitness industry that is trying to give people something to worship. Worship means to ascribe worth to something. Christians often ascribe worth to God. We show God that he is worth something to us by coming to church here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday evenings in Lent. But when somebody stops going to church, they don't stop worshiping. They simply go to church somewhere else. They start to worship something else. Some people worship their career. Other people worship their children. Some people worship their fitness routine. But all of these have one thing in common. Whether people consciously know this or not, they are trying to find spiritual fulfillment from what they worship. All of this is part of a current in our society that has grown in the past few years into a powerful river. This is the current of, I'm spiritual, but not religious. Somebody who says that knows that they should have a relationship with a higher power, but they don't want to find that relationship as dictated by an old-fashioned church or dusty religion. No, they want to find their relationship with their higher power on their own terms. They want to follow their intuition and worship God according to how they think they should. And if somebody follows this current, 
all the way downriver on the inner tube of their intuition, they might just find themselves worshiping in a soul cycle sanctuary, seeking spiritual fulfillment in their sweat. Unfortunately, anyone who worships their exercise bike or their career or even their children above God will always be seeking but never finding spiritual fulfillment. They're on a wild goose chase. Maybe you've heard the quote by the philosopher Blaise Pascal. It goes something like this. Every person has a God-shaped hole inside their heart. And no matter what they try to fill that hole with, they can only be fulfilled by God. We know this by intuition, but we are tempted to search elsewhere for what can fulfill us. In our gospel reading today, Jesus opposes that current of spiritual but not religious. He shows us that there is, in fact, a right way and a wrong way to worship. And he shows us that he saves us with his zeal from running around looking for our own sanctuaries. In our gospel reading, Jesus is in the temple in Jerusalem at the Passover. And the Passover was one of the greatest examples of a spiritual event on planet Earth. Back in Jesus' day, about two and a half million people would all converge on Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. These people were all there to worship the one true God. They were all there to bring the sacrifice that God had commanded them to bring, the unblemished lamb. You would think that Jesus would be ecstatic. Look at all these people in church. But no, Jesus is the opposite. He is irate. Sometimes it's tough to imagine Jesus as angry. We prefer to think of Jesus as comforting, as our loving Savior who said, let the little children come to me. But here he is, as angry as anyone's ever been. Jesus took the time to braid a whip out of cords, and then he spent what must have taken a long time to drive all of the merchants and animals out of the expansive temple courtyard, clearly there is a right way to worship. And whatever the merchants were doing, it wasn't it. You have to wonder how the merchants thought about Jesus' reaction to them. In their mind, they probably thought they were doing what's right. They were providing animals so that two and a half million people could worship God. But Jesus showed them why his anger against them was a righteous anger. He told them that they were using the temple for something it was not intended to be used for. The temple was supposed to be a place where God's people could come and keep the first three commandments in a special way, where they could love nothing more than God, where they could revere his name, and where they could find their rest in his mercy. But these merchants were taking God's house of worship and turning it into a house of market. And Jesus showed that he had a zeal, a passion, a consuming enthusiasm to make sure that God's temple was used correctly. You have to wonder what Jesus thinks about the worship we have here at Good News. Outwardly, it seems we're doing great. Many people come here, they make sacrifices in other areas of their life to come here and worship God. 
But we know that it's not the sheer number of people worshiping that determines whether God is pleased or not. God sees right through the number on your attendance record, and he sees into your heart for the real reason that you come here. Do you come here because going to church on Sunday mornings is a unique opportunity to keep the first three commandments, to love nothing more than God, to revere his name, and to find your rest in him? I pray that you do. But it can be easy to let other reasons sneak in on us. A few weeks ago, I was out of town, not in Mount Horeb, at this big event, and someone found out that I'm studying to become a pastor. And so he took the time to come over and introduce himself to me and give me some encouragement, which I very much appreciated. But then he said something that shocked me. He said, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I'm not very religious myself, but we need people like you in our country to teach our children what's right. What an incredibly minimalistic and misguided view of what church is supposed to be. That's just one example of how we can easily see God's house of worship and change it into something else in our minds, our house of fill-in-the-blank. For that man, he thought that God's house was supposed to be a house of moralizing children. We might be tempted to think that good news is a house of therapy or a house of positivity or a house of life tips. And of course, I'm sure that our children do learn good biblical morals in Sunday school, even if that's not their first priority. And I pray that hearing God's word gives you some therapeutic benefits, and there are certainly plenty of life tips to be found in the Bible. But if that's the only reason we come here, good news is in trouble. If the only reason we come here is for those personal benefits, then there's really no difference in coming here than going anywhere else. Why not go to SoulCycle and get many of the same benefits that you get here and get a good sweat in at the same time? Why not look for those benefits at bingo night? Why not sleep in on Sunday mornings and rest your body so that you can put your best foot forward in your career this week? Or you can spend that time as quality time with your children. If we turn this house into a kind of vending machine where we just look to get our preferred spiritual benefits out of it, there's no difference in coming to this building than any other building. And if we buy into that attitude, we're essentially, essentially posing the same question to Jesus that the Jewish leaders did. How do you have the authority to tell me how I should worship? When the Jewish leaders asked Jesus that question, they were asking him kind of as event planners. They were in charge of this massive Passover festival. And then all of a sudden, here comes this upstart teacher from Galilee who makes a huge scene about how they were doing everything wrong. In the religious leader's mind, the only authority above them was God. And so they tell Jesus, Jesus, if you're going to criticize what we're doing here at the Passover, you had better be God himself, or at least sent from God. And so they demanded a sign from Jesus. And Jesus gave them a sign, but it wasn't the sign they were looking for. They were looking for a powerful miracle of God, something akin to the splitting of the Red Sea or the standing still of the sun in the sky. But all they got out of Jesus was some words. And some words that seemed foolish to them 
Jesus' words seemed so foolish that they didn't even make sense. They misunderstood him. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it again in three days. And they assumed, naturally, that he was talking about the giant brick and mortar temple that they were standing right next to. But Jesus was actually talking about his body. Which makes sense. Because God's presence was housed in the temple at Jerusalem until Jesus came on the scene. And then it was housed in his body. Jesus' words seemed weak and foolish to the religious leaders who were intuitively expecting something powerful. But make no mistake, there is a lot of power in Jesus' words. Jesus' words reveals the strength of God's love for all humanity. When Jesus said, destroy this temple, he showed that he was willing to let the Jewish leaders destroy his body on the cross. And he was willing to undergo that suffering and death because as great as his zeal for God's house was, his zeal for you is greater. That is how much Jesus loves you. That he would rather let his body be destroyed so that you would not have to suffer anything for your sins. Even though Jesus sees right into our hearts and sees all the times we struggle to worship properly, he was still zealous consumingly, passionately, enthusiastic about going to the cross for you. And of course, we know Jesus didn't end there on the cross, just like his sign didn't end there either. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. His followers realized later on that that was less riddle and more revelation. It was a prophecy by Jesus. He was saying, I, my body will be destroyed. And then three days later, I'm going to raise it up again. And guess what happened? He was crucified. And three days later, he raised his body up to life again. Because Jesus shows us this, because he was able to fulfill what he promised, he shows that everything he claimed about himself is true. He proved that he was God, is God with this sign. And because Jesus is God, he has the authority not only to tell us the right way and the wrong way to worship, but to tell us what our relationship with God is like. So when Jesus says you're forgiven, you know that you're forgiven. When Jesus says that you are right with God, you know that he is telling the truth. This is how Jesus alone fills that God-shaped hole in our hearts. And this is why we come to worship. We don't come to worship because at this particular juncture in our life, we're getting some fulfillment out of it. No, we come here because we are already fulfilled. We are fulfilled by Jesus' forgiveness. And we come here to be reminded of that forgiveness and strengthened in it so that we're not washed this way and that by all the different currents in the world. And maybe you've noticed something else that happens here. God still loves to use things that seem foolish and weak to do extraordinary things. Here, in this building, God uses simple words spoken by sinners, simple tap water in a basin, simple bread and cups of wine to do the most amazing miracles the world could ever imagine, to bring forgiveness of sins to everyone. This is why we come to worship, 
This is why our musicians put in so many hours practicing to help us revere God's name. This is why our Sunday school teachers prepare and prepare to teach our children that they can only find their true rest in Jesus. We come to worship because our worship is not driven by what can I get out of this? It's driven by look at what God has done for us. So don't listen to your intuition that the words and water and wine and wafer that you receive here are not of any note. They are not weak. God reveals to us that they are strong. In fact, they are not foolish. God reveals to us that he gives us through them the wisdom of salvation. God makes us wise for salvation through these things. He teaches us how we are saved and he shows us how he will bring us to be in heaven with him. No soul cycle class can tell you that. No career or children will bring you that. Jesus' zeal alone has saved us. In him alone, we find our true sanctuary. Amen.